Hey, welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the root description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. I'm doing another COVID stay-at-home uh, podcast via Zoom. I got the Colorado Trail Patrick joining me today. Yo. I got Jaser Jack joining us via Zoom from Evergreen, Colorado. Hey, everybody. And we got uh, blogger, storyteller, 14er climber, Alex Durr joining the non-standard 14er podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. And when did you start the blog? Let's see. It's only been about, I think I started the blog about a year ago. And the first six months, I only, you know, I used it very on and off again. I wasn't exactly sure what I really wanted to even do with it. Um, and then I was coming down, I think it was Long's Peak last summer. Um, like, so again, I do this a lot, I, it seems, chasing a, a thunderstorm. Uh, and just watching people after people after people, you know, group after group, just heading up into the storm and you like see it. And I was just like, I found it absurd, I guess, a little that, you know, people um, knew so little. And that was sort of the moment where I was like, you know, well, that's something I could blog about, like just simple things that people can do to, you know, not march into a thunderstorm in the middle of July. Um, and uh, from there, it's kind of grown and, and just uh, uh, become sort of a, a, a hobby and uh, something that's, yeah, become a bit of a, a fun thing I uh, do on, a, on the side of. So um, I do a lot of blogging and communication already. So it just sort of seemed like an obvious. Uh, and do you do your own infographics? Are those your infographics that you create? Like you have a great infographic on like, how much oxygen is by elevation. And you have a cool infographic I saw that had like five ways to use an ice axe. Are those all yours? Yeah. So the one on the ice axe is mine. The other one is, 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 uh, I, I forget exactly the source. Uh, uh, that one's not, but the, the infographics is one thing I've actually wanted to do more of. Um, but I kind of wonder what would be interesting to people. So, um, that's, that's a whole thing I've kind of been having. Yes. Yeah, sitting in the back of my head of like, you know, there's a, so many things you could, you could do an infographic on. Is that illustrator? Do you use illustrator or Photoshop or? Yeah. Illustrator and, and sometimes Photoshop, depending on what, what I'm doing. So what's the, what's the main aim of the blog? Is it kind of like a, a personal like journal of your, your journey on the 14ers or is it kind of a how-to or a little bit of both? What's kind of your main voice for the project? Yeah, I, I think it takes a couple different sort of focuses. I think that the, the one I started with most was sort of, you know, basic advice. You know, I, I, I don't want, to, want anyone to think I'm like a, you know, an outline guide or anything like that. Uh, but I've also, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of times in the woods, um, you know, growing up hiking and backpacking was, um, something we did a lot, uh, from, from an early age. So while 14 years are something, you know, that was newer to me, a lot of those basic skills that are still important that just any hiker should know. Um, I felt like, wow, people aren't seeing any of this. Uh, so that was, that was, I think the biggest motivation, but as I've gone, it's definitely been something where I, you know, been trying to share reflections. You know, I just did one post about. Um, you know, how you can learn a lot about surviving a pandemic from mountaineering in 14ers. Um, so I think I kind of wait for those stories or those thoughts to come to me. And whenever the inspiration strikes, I just kind of grab a keyboard and, and get it down as fast as I can. One thing actually I will say I wanted to do more of is I, I, I think there's so many stories to tell um, in terms of the history of the 14ers. Uh, you know, some of them out there like Sherman, you're passing these mammoth mining structures. So one thing I've wanted to do more of that I'm hoping to in the next few months is start doing a digging into, you know, records and see what stories can be unearthed of some of these, uh, you know, places, roads, passes, um, that we're just, you know, who knows what history we're walking over every day. So um, that's something I really hope to dig into more. And how do you find your blog? 
That's a great question. Um, so the easiest way is if you just Google Alex M. Durr for the next summit log. Either of okay. those will usually bring it right up. Um, or you can just go to alexmdurr.com. Cool. Um, definitely. So let's get let's get into the debate because we wanted to have kind of a, a, a record of the quarantine and the big debate of like shaming oh, people online or should you go to the mountains right now when we're at stay-at-home orders? Should you leave more than 10 miles from your house? I did a, two blogs, one specifically about whether you should go into the mountains and another that was more just informative about uh, the 14ers and the virus and sort of, you know, social distancing and such. Um, and that's skyrocketed after I posted it to one of the, the most popular posts I've ever shared. Um, and uh, I, I saw it getting shared by a lot of, for example, uh, Mountain Town Magazine, um, I think a few different like county Twitter pages shared it. So clearly it was sort of resonating, I think, with a lot of uh, communities and a lot of people, of course, tweeting being like, thank you, for, you know, thank you for putting this down better than I could have because I'm getting sick of baiting people online. So um, yeah, that definitely appeared very quick. Of course, on the other hand, I also got a lot of flack. Uh, I got a few comments that were a pretty, um, you know, insulting. <laughs> so that's why I like your blog. You, you really opened some great questions that I thought maybe we, we could to debate. The first one I wanted to debate was your, uh, your post about uh, four, um, let's see, what was it? Mm. Your blog here. Four great 14ers for your first overnight climb. So but what do you have, what do you think about Pat? If you ever asked that question, what's the best first, which might be different than the question, what's the best overnight climb? The best first, your first time as an overnighter. There's so many good 14ers that you could, that you could camp at. And, um, but you know, backpacking in adds an element to it that, that, you know, car camping doesn't or driving from your house. Um, I always thought, you know, uh, here on was a really good, um, overnight, even though it's close and you can climb it without, it's, it's kind of fun to turn these into uh, overnight camping trips with your buddies or, uh, it, it allows you to, you know, have that campfire that you're always looking for and a good climb. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, back down to camp and a place to relax by a stream with a beer or a lake, or if you're lucky. Um, so I always thought Huron was a really good one because it's a lot of good options on it. It's it's not difficult at all, and and you got Lake Ann nearby. You got the view of the Three Apostles. It's easy and it's accessible out towards Buena Vista. So that would be my my choice. Because your list, what your list was what Blanca? I think it was Humboldt, South Colony. Do Humboldt? Uh, what's a uh, Lake Como, Blanca, yeah. and what you have Mount of the Holy Cross and do East Cross Creek. Really? So that, that's why Pat and I were debating earlier. We said East Cross Creek, you have to regain that thousand feet. So as your first overnight hike, it might it might uh, disparage or dis dishearten some some people. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, um, it's it's funny. Um, of the four, um, Mount of the Holy Cross is the only one I have not done as a backpack. I did it all in one day. But uh, I think the biggest reason I picked that was purely the sense that, you know, I think that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the only 14er or one of the only 14ers for sure, maybe Long's also requires like, in, you know, in site camping at the designated spot um, down in the creek there. Um, and to me, the fact that it was, I think I went there on a Wednesday and as I see through, it was totally packed almost. I thought this, there's something clearly here that is drawing people to do 
what is it like you just said a tough a tough ass climb um uh, like i did the halo ridge but leaving you know going back on the way out is grueling if people thought it was still somehow worth it um to me that that stood out as a, a good example of a climb um although maybe you're right that might of the four not be the i think hopefully i put that down on the fourth, <laughs> fourth you did, run, you did but, halo ridge in one day yeah you went up the up the up the stand over over half moon long one. or over half moon second. Yes, that was a long day. Did you counterclockwise or clockwise? You notch mountain first and then and then the summit or the summit and then go to Mont- notch mountain. Notch, notch mountain first, yeah. Oh, okay. So I think that was a good would be a good way. Okay, yeah, but you can't camp then if you want to do the whole circle. You can't go back to your camp. We yeah. debated this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's hard to do it as a, a two day trip without doing it the other way. But I was trying to avoid the you know the demoralization of having to go down and up the same thing. But I think after doing it, I would recommend, yeah, if I was just going to do Mount of, the Mount of Holy Cross without Halo Ridge, I would, you know, in a heartbeat, do it as an overnight. Uh, it just seems to make sense. Was that, was, was that Taylor's first overnight trip, Jace? It's not a bunch of backpacking, but it was her first overnight 14er. Was that brutal thousand feet back over half moon? Disheartening? Not as much as I expected because we had been, we had kind of hyped it up. I had told her about it. Like, I think if you didn't know to expect it, it would be really disheartening. But we got back to camp and refilled our water and got something to eat and took a half hour snooze and packed up camp. And then um, she was really expecting it to like suck almost as much as the summit push. Mm. Just moved right up it and really didn't have any issues. So I think being mentally prepared for that's as important as anything. Remind me, are you allowed to have fires there? And there's like 13 dispersed camping spots there by the creek. So we didn't have a fire just because we got there so late, but I would imagine you're allowed to. Yeah, I believe you can. But only in the designated in the designated sites that each have a ring. You know, one of the nice things though about um, your pri- the previous point of you know hacking out over a pass on the way out. Um, if you kind of set that as your your standard of expectation for uh, you know a uh, an overnight trip, you know it, that makes ninety percent of your future trips like no problem. Because when I think about it, you know there's a handful like that, you know broken hand pass and a few others, but uh, for the most part you can count on the rest of your trips just being an, an easy you know hike downhill on your way out. So that's just my personal preference. But I kind of like setting myself up with a you know like a, a worse climb to start just to realize oh yeah it's, it's easy from this point on that's a great example we were thinking about that like we're hiking into the chicago basin it's like seven miles or or do that do like snowmass lake if you do like a five to seven mile or over you know willow lake maybe even from uh to do a kit carson challenger and then suddenly a, a two or three mile backpack is nothing it's like an hour and you're in there yeah. and setting up camp and having a little whiskey around the fire totally I, I did Democrat right after I did Long's Peak and I, the, the feeling of, you know, I, I thought I had suddenly gotten in shape essentially just like, wow, that was, that was too easy compared to last week. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, yeah, pushing yourself a little bit and then enjoying the next few climbs is a little bit of a break. <laughs> if you can call it that. So what is the ideal mileage to hike in then? If you had to define what the best overnight backpacking I think one of the one of the variables would be distance in. I think other one would be you know views or access to water. Mm-hmm. What's the ideal distance? What do you think, everyone? Yeah, in the case of 
you know, like, like back there, Little Bear Blanca Ellingwood for sure. You definitely, I can't imagine starting those climbs with Lake Como Road. That's so that's you know a consideration. But uh, like Jace, I'm I'm always looking for the camping experience. Like where can I get near water and, and get a fire going and and kind of enjoy time away and being out in the wilderness. So I'm 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 more looking for where the camping is more than I'm trying to, uh, you know, shorten the next day, unless it's in the case of something like, uh, you know, Lake Como. Um, but, uh, you know, anything to me, it's, uh, you know, even if it's a mile or two miles, it's still worth packing in to, to camp because it's always great to just wake up and get that Alpine start right out of your tent uh, rather than your car. But, uh, you know, you could do, you can knock out a few miles in an hour depending on the incline. So, you know, I always look for, I look forward to the trips where it's like five plus miles and would be my criteria be looking for making that an actual backpack 14er. Yeah. That's why I like to push back on your, the, when you said the fir- best first overnighters and you had Blanca listed there. Blanca from like the bottom of Lake Como is like 79,000 feet. You have to gain what's it, like 4,000 feet to get to Lake Como. I think that would be a bad one to start if you're trying to, well, it depends. That's what I wanted to debate. as your first overnighter. You suck up, up, up Lake Cromo road with a softball size ankle twisting rocks in the desert heat. You'd ruin your ruin, a, ruin a relationship quick. If that was your first. Yeah. I cheated on that one. Cause I, I drove a good ways up the road and a friend's, you know, like nice suit. So, uh, that, that made it a little bit easier, to, um, but, uh, did you guys make it? Um, just past like the first, I mean, we, we didn't say that much uh, distance just past the very first, I think Jaws section. And he was like, oh, I'm wow. not doing that. Yeah. Wow. I, I might be getting the name wrong. Um, we, got to, we got to what? Nine, eight, Jace. Yeah. About nine, eight. So like right before Jaws 0.5 or whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Jaws one. That's, that's, that's a quite a ways. That's good. I was like, good we vehicle. should. And he was like, no, I think we can do it. And then he got over it and was like, mm, we're done. <laughs> you know, we're done. When the rock is covered in oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As I say, many a people have lost an oil pan. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that might be different if you're taking your first overnight backpack, but you get a, you have an ATV that gets you within two miles of Lake Como. It's different than starting from Blanca, the town of Blanca, basically, and hiking up to Lake Como. Well, I, I think one more reason I added Blanca is, um, you know, especially when I was uh, newer to, to overnight hikes, um, I think uh, one of the things in my mind about them is they sort of open up a whole nother set of, of longer, you know, 14er hikes. You know, up to that point, I was really only doing, you know, 10, 11 mile maximum trips. But uh, the moment you add that extra, you know, what, you know, 12 to 24 hours of time in, suddenly, you know, 15, 20 miles is the limit. So um, to me, it was like, what if, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna knock one off your list, which one does it make sense to uh, to do as a, a, a double double dayer? Um, though you know, I, I see what you're saying about it being first beginner, but uh, um, that was always like top of mind of like me when I was making those first calls of like, all right, I can now do Blanca because I can cut that up into two days. That's a lot manageable. And you get that first uh, elusive look at Little Bear, which, you know, everybody that starts off kind of, that one's always in the back of your mind. So just getting close to it, you're like, ooh, 
<laughs> That's so true. I, I remember sitting at the Lake Como staring up being like, you know, I'm not meeting you this time, but like, I'll be back for you, you son of a... <laughs> for sure. Have you done Harvard? Yeah, Harvard's great. So that would be my vote, my vote for backpack in, first backpack in, because Horn Fork is pretty gentle. You could probably gain 1,000 feet, camp kind of near the turnoff to Columbia's standard, and then I think that would be a first easy backpack trip. And it's close to, you know, not too far from Denver. Um, if, you, if you're talking qualification of the best first, that's not too hard, too difficult, and too challenging and too buggy. So that's, that's interesting. You wouldn't, cha- you wouldn't choose like Pine Creek? You would you would just you would take uh, Horn Fork. You would go straight in on the uh, standard. That was interesting because Pine Creek is a seven mile. You can get seven miles into like Little John's Cabin. Beautiful hike. Yeah, across the Colorado Trail. Um, but then you, if you're doing Oxford or Harbor from that side, it's a bushwhack in the morning and then steep no trail climbing. Unless you go all the way over um, Elk, what's that Elkhead Pass? Elkhead Pass. Yeah. That'd be a long, that'd be a longer one, but it'd be, it'd be a good way to do Belford and Oxford without bushwhacking is just to go. does give you Belford and Oxford as an option. It depends on your time, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's a lot longer of a backpack, a true backpack, I guess. Yeah. I think I had, I had some friends who, who knocked out the four of them and I think it took them like, but they ran into some pretty nasty weather along the way. And they did it from Pine Creek where they could get Harvard and Belford Oxford in the same trip. Yeah, they didn't end up getting them all. <laughs> they failed miserably, from what I recall. Um, that's just a hard one to plan for, unless you have a really nice weather window. What's yours then? Are you still sticking with Holy Cross, Jace? Is the best first overnight backpack? I think so. I like the challenge of it. I think it's really pretty, and I think it's, uh, I think it's manageable and gives people, just having seen it from a person's the perspective of it being first, my wife, gave her a really good sense of accomplishment. It wasn't really a gimme but it was within reach. Yeah, I'd, I'd stick with that one for my vote. Uh-huh. Pike's Peak would be a really good one too, from uh, Bar, the Bar Trail. I mean, of course, that's a, that's a really long trek in, but it's on the front range, closer in. I mean, you get just crazy, crazy killer views all the way in. Would you camp at the A-front of the, the cabins there, the bar, bar camp? Yeah, I guess that's something to consider, like, these days is uh, getting reservations or getting to some of those camps on a busy summer. It's probably a little different than it used to be back in the day, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's the, the thing about, you know, Pikes Peak is the summit is not really, at least in, in my view is not like, it's not the best part of that climb. It's, it's kind of the experience of being around Pikes and, and that bar trail is pretty, it's pretty legendary. Yeah. I was just sort of thinking that uh, I, I really like the idea of, you know, when you're, you're backpacking, you feel like you're heading sort of into wilderness. So I, 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 I'm overnighted. Like, I'm hoping to make Pikes Peak my last finisher just so people can drive me down and I can get some celebratory food um, at the top. But for that exact same reason, I'd be a little, I wouldn't feel like, you know, I was going into wilderness if I got out of my tent. And so I would, it would be a good one, but I don't know if I would recommend it as the first one. That's kind of the Pikes Peak experience though, is you got to like, that, that might be an interesting blog um, idea is like the top, the 10 um, best, like unique features on every 14er. So like um, either the gray golly or the catwalk on pyramid 
or the catwalk on Eolus, or what's what's unique? The, what's the Golden Steps on Pikes? The aquamarine on Antero, kind of a unique color there. Mm. Uh, the red or, jelly, or in Stifler's case, the uh, the tire piece. <laughs> <laughs> He busted my bubble so bad. I was like, I think this is aquamarine. It was a real bright turquoise looking thing. And Pat like shake his head and said, That's it's rubber, man. It's a piece of tire. <laughs> That's awesome. But in, in in all fairness, he did find another actual piece of aquamarine. We just never could find that second piece, you know, to make a set of earrings or whatever. But cufflinks. Uh, you know, the, the funny that he brings up that he brings up Antero because we packed in for that under a, uh, you know, a full moon and up Little Browns is that's either Browns Creek or Little Browns Creek. You're looking at two great backpack in yeah. and a very, very simple 14er um, experience. So that would might be a really nice uh, first timer as well. It's a long, I mean, it's like 18 miles. It was a long, but it's a gradual Jeep trail most of the way. Uh, you avoid the standard from Baldwin Gulch where you might see a lot of Jeep. Yeah, but we, we could have, you didn't need a flashlight at all, that full, full moon. I think that, that fantastic one, I'd actually been hoping to do that one last fall um, as an overnight up uh, uh, Little Browns, and uh, we just had bad weather that weekend. But, um, yeah, I've heard that it's really nice to get away from some of the Jeep traffic. And also, just if not even – that route isn't even on com. so just the number of people you see generally is like day and night between the two, from what I've been told. Yeah, easy trailhead to get to, even on like a low-clearance car. Uh, right close to Buena Vista. That's a good. That's a good one. That would be one I'd put in where you need to push yourself. You know, good at least five miles in just to kind of get to tree line. Um, but it's gradual. It'd be a good one. The one on the list I think I'm most sure of belonging there is uh, I really love Mount Massive as a first overnight, um, especially on uh, what is it the the southwest slopes I think. Um, you cross so many perfect little creek crossings and every single one has pretty obvious campsites along the way that get you about a third of the way. So you're not doing more than you know, a couple miles, three, four, but just enough that you know, on summer day, you've got a pretty standard, you know, 2,000 feet gain and, and six or seven miles. So um, I've done that as an overnight now twice and uh, um, I love it. It's, it's, it's a real gentle day, but uh, it makes it easier, which is what I love about it. Of overnights, yeah, near Quincy's. Yeah, have you ever been to Quincy's Steakhouse? No, no, I've not. <laughs> That's a blog you should do. Is all the best places to eat after a fourteener. I was, I was just thinking that somebody posted in the in, in one of those forums about a favorite mountain times. All these ideas are coming down. I was thinking about writing some down. Not the best time for eating mountain times. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> do it. Do an infographic on Quincy's prime rib sizes: eight ounce, <laughs> eight ounce, twenty-four ounce, and then make a like how many miles you need to hike in elevation gain to earn the twenty-four ounce versus eighteen <laughs> ounce versus the only the eight ounce prime rib. There's one in Leadville, one in Buena Vista, but it's just like weird, shady little steakhouse with like suspiciously good food and it's <laughs> like a saloon, and they have two mm-hmm. menu. <laughs> you said all you had to say. You just said uh, suspiciously good food. They have two things on the menu. Boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like during the week, it's filet mignon on the prime rib, and you just have to choose your size. 
He knows what kind of salad dressing you want. And it's like 16 bucks for the biggest. There's no, there's no salad dressing choice. It's just one house salads. No. It's yeah. Not, it's yeah. only yeah. like one sour cream. Potatoes. It's a rite of passage, but it's, take somebody that's never been with you because it's, it's really fun to see people's reactions when they realize <laughs> you don't have choices on the menu. It's like you go in and you sit down. It's like you want A or B. <laughs> and people are like, well, I want chicken. We don't have chicken. Get out of here. Yeah, it's, it's great. Vegetarian lasagna or prime rib? And every time you walk in there, they always ask you before you sit down, are you familiar, are you familiar with our menu? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that'd be a fun blog. The original was from the Quincy block in Leadville. Yeah. That's why it's called oh, Quincy's. And they moved south, great. you know, go half an hour south to yeah. Wind Vista. Another half an hour south, you get the one in Salida. And I think there's one in uh, toward Westcliff area, like uh, Florence now. So we did... Uh, we did, yeah, we did <laughs> stupid trips right. where you don't learn. Like in one of your blogs, you say what amateur, what amateurs do versus veterans. What, what, what a veteran would tell an amateur. We did, uh, we did Yale in January and we drove from Denver at three in the morning and then snowshoed up, uh, avalanche gulch did that, did that side of Yale. And then it was like eight 30 mm-hmm. and we were still like a mile from our car with snowshoes on. And we knew Quincy's closed at nine. <laughs> And if you, ask, you ask the exile Michigander, he'll, he'll say that once we realized that, we must have ran to the car shoes, <laughs> and we got to Quincy's at eight nine, uh, like eight fifty eight. <laughs> you guys, you guys should get them to sponsor the uh, the podcast. It sounds like, you know, if you <laughs> win win for everyone. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. So I want let's 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 hash out then the best overnight backpack then not the not the first, but what's the best or top three? What if you put the top three best overnight fourteen or climb backpack trips? So now you got to qualify that. Is this so? We're ta- are we taking the beginner out of it, or are we still trying to focus on people that maybe not have the experience? Yeah, let's say um, yeah, you're, you're planning to finish the fourteeners. Okay. Capital. Capital Lake. That's a pretty tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. I'm mean, really hard to do one day. How, how far do you think we hiked in until you get to kind of the Capital Lake? I think that's, I think it's about six, a little over six miles, seven miles. That's somewhere in there, but it's, I mean, it's a ways back, but it's so beautiful. And then you just camping in the shadow of that mountain is just, there's something just like mystic about it. And you know, it's the feelings are intense because of all the, you know, like the aura that surrounds capital, if you will. And, uh, such a cool place, and 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 our everybody's experience with that mountain is different. But um, I did uh, I did the Crestone Crestone Peak from the Crestone side, so I didn't have to go over Broken mm-hmm. Hand and regain Broken Hand. We did it from the Crestone side, uh, pretty much a drainage over from the standard up a Willow Creek or Willow Lake to Kit Carson Challenger. A little bit of bushwhacking, but the trail is better than, than most people report. And that way you're on the other side. You have a great waterfall to look at, two great waterfalls to look at, and then you don't have to regain Broken Hand. Uh, that was a really cool um, backpack, although there was bushwhacking in the morning where we camped. But you had, you had Humboldt as one of your four South Colony Lakes do Humboldt as an overnighter. Yeah, but you don't have to go back over the pass for, for Humboldt. Right. Oh, good point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, though you're right. It's a slog of a, a hike in. <laughs> that's for sure 
One thing, one that I really, I wish I could do, it's uh, one, I, I think part of the allure of it is that it just takes a lot of pre-planning uh, is to turn Long's Peak into an overnight and get up to the Boulder field. Um, you know, I see people do it, you know, every time and every time I'm like, oh my God, I should do that. And then I get down and I don't think about it, you know, until it's way too late um, just because reservations fill so fast. So that's always been one that like stands out is that I really want to go back and do it um, and, and spend a night up there looking out over the, you know, the lights of Denver that way down below. Um, I think that would be the coolest thing, but uh, um, you really got to think about it six months out. And if you want to get a, a weekend that works for you. So coming from someone who's done it, you don't get much sleep that night. Kept just plan on yeah. sleeping. There's people that are getting, you know, starting from like 11 o'clock at night on all around the clock. It's just wild. Wind and people. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, one that comes to mind, that's not necessarily recommendable or my favorite, but definitely a, a fond memory in my mind is our Wilson group trip. Um, for somebody that really wants a ball buster to go do that kill packer, El Diente, Wilson Traverse, and then pack up and go around to Navajo and then do Wilson Peak the next day and come back out. Completely brutal, but like one of my favorite trips we've done just like really made us earn it and like really felt like it was worth it. And it's the only way to do, really the only feasible way to do um, the whole Wilson group in one go. So I thought that was really fun. And then another one that I haven't done that I really want to do though would be Snuffles from Blue, Blue Lakes. So I've done that South Bridge route. But from Blue Lakes, um, there was a guy that had come up that route, and he had done a fair bit of backpacking. He said it's the prettiest route that he's ever done. So that's on my short list, too. That I think that would be super fun. Would you do, if we did five days, let's do Wetterhorn from Ridgeway over the Coxcomb Peak, regain that, that the really fun ridge on the standard, and then hang out in your array, go, go to your array brewing, and then do Blue Lakes – do a whole circle. Do Blue Lakes. No, yeah, I can't. Because there's that Blaine Basin, too. I'd love to go down Blaine Basin on Sneffels. Once you drop that south face and then turn left instead of right back into the Yankee boy. Hmm. We're also trying to figure out what 13-ers we can dovetail in. Um, Pat and I are going to chip away on the Centennials this summer, and uh, Jace has some uh, difficult... 14 years that we're going to try to link link trips together we're trying to kind of think about the logistics uh, maybe mm. a snowmass hagerman trip or uh, i wonder if taylor doesn't want to do a wilson group peak and we could do uh maybe pat and i could do a gladstone is that it pat yeah i think so and chicago basin you have jupiter i'll always go back to chicago basin always I already got that one on the calendar for this summer you guys should come with is the train? Oh, the train's now. Uh, Count me in. No longer coal. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so. I had some incident with some sparks, from what I understand. Yeah, it's still a pending lawsuit. It's uh, yeah. I think they've. I think they decommissioned the the coal train at the moment, and they're just running on the electric guy or the or whatever they're using. But yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, we went back when we went back for for Sean's finisher. It was absolutely packed back there. So, you know, for advice for people thinking about Chicago Basin, go get it in quick because I I can guarantee you in the next two years it's going to end up. Uh, it'll be like the bells. It's going to be reservation yeah. and that could be a good blog idea. Is uh, like tips for the Chicago Basin. 
I know that's mm-hmm. a recurring discussion on the forums. And one of the best tips we know is to make sure you have a couple six packs of beer and time into the river there. Uh, so once you hike back out, when you're waiting for the train, you got cold beer in the river to pull out. That was one of the coolest trips we've done. And it was right after a finisher. So our buddy finished the next day. We leisurely hiked out the seven miles and we didn't have to get the train to the following day. So we camped by the railroad and just drank beer and sat by the fire. Really cool. One of the, I think one of the coolest experiences I had on a trip. Yeah. I think the trains definitely feel like one of those, like you were saying, one of those, those favorite 14 er experiences like Pikes Peak that like you can technically do that backpacking if you wanted to, but I don't know why you would because the train is, you know, that, that experience is part of it. So you're getting some ideas for blogs. <laughs> um, yeah. And honestly, the one about the Chicago Basin is interesting. Because, uh, I wrote one a while ago about just, you know, sort of looking at the, the 14 or statistics that always come out that are showing, you know, like consistent 8% growth or whatever by, by year. So, you know, at what point will the same problems they're having in Chicago basin be the same problem they're having, you know, other places. Oh, right. yeah. What's a, what's a hanging lake? Uh, yeah. Hanging lakes permitted. Um, you know, is that, you know, are permits the answer or, you know, I, I kind of like the example of South colony lakes where they didn't need to close anything. They just or permit anything. They just closed the, you know, the, uh, the higher up trailhead. And that just sort of naturally has kept less people in there, you know, without really closing access at all. So, um, I'm very intrigued by, you know, some of the options and, um, you know, that probably reflects my background, but, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder that a lot when I'm hiking along and looking at 400 people behind me. So you know, the other topic I wanted to debate is the one, uh, post post title that you said, we screwed up. So you don't have to 14 or tips from the veterans. So ponder that one. What would you tell, again, tell the first timers as someone who finished the 14ers or is deep along in the 14ers? What do you tell a first timer like that comes to Denver and says, well, I got to go, go run up Beer Stott. And then they got to go run up Grays and Tories. I mean, your blog touches some of the ones that I would recommend Cotton Kills. I did yep. Quandary in October 31st and got my, in snow and got my feet super wet in cotton socks and. It was a bad, bad trip. That, that was my beer bad experience coming down in jeans and rain. Um, you'll never do that again once you do it once, I think. Um, and that's how I got most of those uh, tips, actually. A few of them are mine, but a lot of them are crowdsourced of just reaching out to a lot of stir-crazy 14er climbers and, and uh, you know, saying, hey, if you, you know, what's one thing you wish someone had told you, you know, on your first climb? Uh, and uh, that became the bulk of, of, of a lot of those tips. So um, a couple of them did not make it. I was like, no, that's silly. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But. I think resoundingly you see veterans say as they get more and more deeper in their 14-year climbing experiences, they, they start earlier and earlier. Yeah, uh, multiple. That was the number one response. I had like four different people said that, and I'm like, someone already said that. You have to say something else. <laughs> um, you know, one, one person just like said, take whatever whatever starting hour you expect and and divide by two so if you want to get out there at you know eight you should be out there at four <laughs> do you think you should be there at six you should be there at three i'm like that ah, i may, maybe on some peaks <laughs> i think we hit the nail on the head you guys did for those other two but if i were to offer one more it would be if you don't have your nutrition dialed in bring more food and water than you think you need um, i think you see a lot of people 
um, suffering from that. And I think bring good food too. A lot of people bring goos or power bars, you know, bring something delicious like a four points bar at least. Palatable. We like to bring salty salami and, and <laughs> things that you really like because you want to make sure you're, you're eating and staying fueled. So that would probably be mine. And then leave no trace. I think you see a lot of first timers that don't understand and kind of think their mom lives there and is going to pick up after them. So, so do you, do you track uh, how many people read in your blog or do you know what, what's the most popular blog post? You, you mentioned the COVID uh, debate has been one of the more popular ones. Yeah, the co- the COVID one is the most popular, but I I you know attribute that just to to timeliness. It's you know on on the top of everyone's head right now. Um, in terms of just more, I guess you could call them you know normal fourteener articles. Um, definitely the the, the 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 it's funny you brought up the overnight one because that's one of the most popular. I think there's something that uh, strikes people when they read that one that a lot of people, um, friends of mine when they read that are like, oh, I never considered you know doing that. I didn't know it was even allowed. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that one just uh, gives people some ideas. Uh, and then also uh, another one that gets a lot of uh, um, uh, a lot of views this time of year is one uh, I posted about how early to start climbing 14ers. Um, so uh, I think a lot of people aren't really sure when the snow melts compared to when it actually smelts on the plains. So um, that tends to get a lot of views. You could do a best non-standard routes on a 14er blog so it's I, that's actually i have a draft of that actually oh, right. okay yeah what would you what would you put on it if you had to, to you, you already mentioned one that's what's on it but uh the uh mount Antero little brown creek approach uh is on there pat does pat does a lot of non-standard because he was living in Vail and he doesn't like crowds and he, he did a lot of the Sawatch range in random random ways um, I like Crestone from the back side. Uh, Crestone from the back side, from the Crestone side. Pine Creek is just really cool. Little John's Cabin. Yeah. Uh, that drainage between Harvard and Oxford. Um, good question. Let me think. <clears throat> and it, there's, you know, some of these have so many routes up, and some only have a, a choice or two, and and that was sort of, you know, as, as my brother and I started this goal, like, <clears throat> seems yeah, it's been a lot of years now. But it's, you know, going up like the west face of, of Albert or, or as I mentioned here on earlier, doing the southwest slopes as opposed to the standard route, <clears throat> just so you can get in the same basin and see the Three Apostles and, and Lake Anciel, just amazing that uh, that place is. Um, the non-standard routes are great, and that's, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's all about knowing, knowing your limits, really, and that's, and that's it. If, if you have that adventurous spirit and, and you, and you kind of want to avoid the crowds, there's a lot of options uh, that you can take, and, and, and you should, and, and you just make it your own, you know? You know, it's when you, once you feel comfortable kind of finding your way around the mountains, and you're, you have your essentials, and you're prepared uh, for whatever may come, leaving no trace, like, Go go grab a, a non-standard route. It's it's a totally different experience. How many how many is on your list, Alex? Of non-standard routes? Yeah, on the on the list of yeah. I'm gonna see if we can guess them. Oh, oh I've got a, I've got five. All right. So the first one you said was Antero, Little Browns. Yep. Hmm. 
or no, there's only four. Sorry, I had to, yeah, I haven't been writing this one in a while. I got to go back. Give, give us the, give us the ranges. <laughs> sure, uh, one of them's the front range. You already learned one of them, or two of them are in the front range, and then the fourth is uh, where is it? Uh, that's the sagre, sangre. So. I would say I like the way Pat and I did longs uh, and we also bagged the centennial last year because we did uh, what's that route we did Pat? Yeah. Loft route. Loft. Mount Meeker. But we came down, yeah. we came down the keyhole. We did the loft route and we hit uh, mm-hmm. and then we did the backside of longs and found the Clark's arrow. Is that Clark's arrow? Clark's arrow. Yeah. And then we yeah, climbed, rejoined the standard route to longs and then we, we descended the keyhole route and made a kind of a big loop around from uh with Chasm Lake around the whole circle. I guess that, that, that would be a non-standard way of doing longs. Beers, how about Beerstad from uh, Tour the Abyss? Yep, that's, that's one of them, yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my favorite. Uh, I like the, uh, the like, how, how abnormal it feels to start your hike by going down <laughs> and spending the first, yeah, the first you know, hour and a half just getting to your lowest point. Uh, it just sort of takes the standard experience and flips on its head a little bit. Like, um, you know, even after doing 20 peaks, you do that one and you're like, oh, this is, this was a totally new thing. Um, you know, this, this is kind of fun. Um, and the sawtooth never, never gets old in my opinion. So, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. That, is that, was that the front range one? And then you bag Evans too in that loop. Yeah. You get two in one. That's the other great part. That was one of the front range ones. There's like, there's two in the front range. Let me think. Let's see. This is a good winner one. Oh, I don't know. Dead Dog, Kuar, up Tories? Or, or, or Kelso Ridge, up Tories? It's the, uh, um, I, I, I can't think of the right name for it, but it's taken the Continental Divide from Loveland, uh, from Loveland Pass. To Grays. Over Grays, yeah. Yep, over Grizzly, yep. No, I think it's just the, the continent, or the, I think it's just called Tory the uh, yeah, Grizzly or the Continental Divide. But, yeah, it's just, it's on a CDT because that's the high point of the continental divide mm-hmm. and the trail there. We got two front ranges. We got little browns from Antero, and then you said song uh, uh, non-standard on Songrays. Yeah, yep. Uh, Z- Zapata Falls do the backside of Ellingwood. No, but that was a that was a contender. <laughs> I thought about that. I went back and forth on that one. All right, let me think. Poach Calubra at night from the backside illegally. <laughs> That's it. The, the, El Serpiente from the... Uh, <laughs> Operation Dark Snake. Yeah, that's it. All right, let me think. Sangres, Sangres. I would say do Crestone from the Crestone side. That's a non-standard. That's it, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. I've, I, I have not done that one myself, but... Um, from everything I've read, the Willow Creek um, approach there is just a, a fantastic place that avoids some of the traffic the other side gets. So, um, cool little boiler section. But it was buggy. It was pretty buggy. One of, probably second big buggiest uh, hikes in mm. I've had in a 14er. But yeah, great way to do Crestone. Hmm, what else would I put on the list? I still think Blue Lakes from uh, Snuffles and Blue Lakes. I haven't done it, but. And then. Wetterhorn from Ridgeway, the Ridgeway side over Coxcomb Peak area or Coxcomb Pass, what it is, I think. Hmm. I think the Wilson Group presents a lot of really cool opportunities as well. I don't, is there is there a standard route on the Wilson Group? 
Is it Rock of Ages? And, th and that's the cool thing about that group is I think that each, each mountain sort of has its own standard. Really, I mean, Rock of Ages to, to Wilson Peak and then, um, you know, Navajo Basin, uh, uh, you know, I guess you get, it's, and that, that's, the, that's the intriguing thing about the Wilson group is there's so many ways to do it and, and people can debate all day long about which way is easier. Should I do the north side, El Diente and snow or, you know, whatever it is, but it's, you can choose your own adventure. And the cool thing is, is you can go back and do it again from a different side and it's like climbing a whole new mountain. So that's, what's really cool about it. Oh, that's, yeah. It's, I've, I've sat there looking at the map for a while. It's, um, I mean, it's cool too, because there's literally, you know, everything from class, you know, class one hiking to like, you've got class three and class four stuff. So you're right. You can kind of really choose your own adventure and match your own ability level, um, which is kind of fun. Because you, you don't get that much, like the saw, the Sawatch is almost all, you know, class two. It's often like you've got Ellingwood Ridge, but other than that, there's there's not much class three stuff or class four stuff. There was no class four stuff, so. Yeah. We did the backside of La Plata from Winfield. It's an interesting way to, to do a non-standard route on, uh, mm. on La Plata. Um, you, you go right past a really cool mine. <laughs> I was supposed to go that route <laughs> once upon a time. Pat climbed the wrong 14er once. You could do a whole blog on 14 <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's that's impressive actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 not impressive. It's kind of <laughs> it's really stupid, but it uh, you know, it's sometimes when you're not paying attention. Uh, you know, there's a lot of wind fields when it comes mm -hmm. to like the Winfield mine and, and <laughs> South Winfield and West Winfield. And, and if you're not really paying a whole lot of attention, then yeah, you know what? You might end up on the wrong 14 or who knows? Depends on how stupid you are at the time. <laughs> uh. That's what's so great about the Swatch range is it's just this long sweeping ridges and it's, you can, you can, yeah, you really can choose your own adventure. There's so many different routes of so many of them camping it's just it's all great what's what's the what's the backside of tab watch is it that's that's brown's creek isn't it the backside of antera's little brown's creek mm -hmm. yeah that sounds right mm -hmm. doing so doing shivano and gaining 4600 feet and then going over to tab watch in the same trip is a big day i did shivano myself and then went came the backside of tab watch and on standard route and i, I actually uh yeah overnight hiked into there Trail's still good. I think it's technically still cl maybe closed. Um, mm -hmm. Road's rough, but doing the doing little brown or Brown's route to Tab Watch is a, a non-standard one I'd recommend. Yeah, Brown's goes a little. Uh, I think it's Brown's that goes a little further south than Brown Little Brown's Creek. Not to be confused, two separate routes. Hmm. I uh, yeah, I tried I tried um Savano uh, last last summer. Meant them both, but yeah, just uh, that's a long day getting up to there. Um, it's deceivingly a lot of gain. How do you did you have any um, advice in dealing with criticism? Luckily for a podcast, we haven't really gotten any comments that are like just vitriol and like, um, so we don't have to like. Yeah, I mean, I I have always looked at it if you know if you're not if you're not pissing at me, somebody you're not you're not uh, <laughs> you're not changing any mind. So um, I just take it that I'm. I'm at least getting some people to 
think about things in a way they haven't, and it might be makes people angry, but I hope other people, um, oh, I, I, I should say for every person who writes something nasty, I get two or three more that are like, oh yeah, you know, I, I've, you know, I've, I've been looking for someone to who said this, or I wish, you know, um, I could say it like this. So, um, you know, I appreciate that, you know, there's people who are, who at least enjoy it to a degree. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of laugh a little and it, it's kind of fun show that people take you seriously so <laughs> nice i wonder if you can do an infographic on um weather or clouds what's a thunderhead look like what's a, what's benign clouds look like what's a hour later it's going to be storming on you clouds look like that's a good one but that's a really good idea the number of times i have friends climbing with me and i try to explain to them you know like the, the concept of rising thunder um, you know, anvil shaped clouds, but it just freaks most of them out and they start pointing to every cloud they see and being like, Hey, that looks like a storm cloud. Hey, that looks like I'm like, no, that's, that's not, that's, that's been there for four hours. Um, Make sure you put your disclaimer up before you do that infographic. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's might be legally too. Legally. Yeah. Forecasting weathering and on the, on the high peaks is even harder than forecasting weathering. Uh, you know, just in Colorado in general. Yeah, totally. That's that's why I, I love the idea of just starting over because it or starting early because it really, you know, minimizes that problem. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if I get poured on below tree line, that's okay with me as long as I'm not sitting up on a, a ridge at 1 p.m. Um, hopefully, it's happened once or twice <laughs> or three times. Have you, uh, have either of you done much, uh, out of, out of Colorado climbing? Uh, Pat's going to do Rainier hopefully in the, this, this fall. Um, try to do P uh, Kings peak, which is the highest peak in uh, the Wasatch range in Utah. Um, but, uh, no, my, most of my climbing has been Colorado centric. Yeah. Run into friends who are doing the like state high points, um, uh, you know, sort of challenge and I'm, I'm not doing that one, but, uh, it's always just interesting to see, you know, some people focus just pinpoint on, you know, 14ers. Some people do the centennials. Some people are doing all, like, I know one friend's doing all the 14ers in every state. So it's, it's interesting mm -hmm. to always compare um, different goals. The advice I would give to people is like, I was so zoned in on 14ers and always plan a next 14er trip that you forget how many awesome centennials or 13ers are out there or waterfalls or, or elevated lakes or like, Things like Lone Eagle Peak down near, um, what's it, like a Granby area. Like, I feel like I had Indian like Peaks, yeah. Indian Peaks area, yeah. I feel like I had an epiphany once I finished the 14ers. I was like, there are so many other great backpacking trips that I neglected because I was so focused on bagging a 14er with a trip. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I just did a, a backpacking trip last fall, right before the frost at uh, Lost Creek Wilderness. Just, you know, right in the back door. Of, of Denver, uh, Lost Creek, and yeah. it's just gorgeous. I mean, there's, you get up above tree line a bit in some spots, but for the most part, it's, it's lowered and it's just gorgeous still. So, um, you know, I think a, a, <laughs> I, I was missing that for two years before I got around it. So uh, I try now to like alternate a 14 trip with something else, whether it's a 13 or just car camping or, you know, what have you not. Cause uh, of course we all have those friends who are like, I'd love to do outdoorsy stuff with you, but I really don't want to have to climb out hard. hard. Can you sit around <laughs> right. a fire one weekend? <laughs> so, um, it's all, it's all, it's, it's all great. Yeah. There's no wrong answer. It's, it's, and then, and then the, 
super great like climbing over passes if you're just backpacking on like the continental divide trail or college whatever it is like it's there's there's something for everybody and, and sometimes people don't want to hit a peak they just want to keep going there's they don't want a finishing point to go back from they want to keep going and that's yeah there's just there's so much to offer in the mountains it's just kind of it is it's always i hate using the term choose your own adventure all the time but it's those were books i grew up on <laughs> so totally yeah, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, you know, as a Boy Scout, and uh, they always talked about choosing your own adventure, but like we're hiking through cornfields, so it never really felt that way. Um, <laughs> and here, you know, like oh no, you literally can do it, <laughs> like, and it's an hour drive from home. Um, it's 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 really quite a, a a privilege to live here. You know, I try to remember that all the time. Yeah, that's why I, my saying is the shit we do on weekends. People are lucky enough to make that a family trip in a lifetime and we yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Which is why it's so ultra, ultra important that, you know, people learn, leave no trace and, and start paying attention to, you know, Alex, he's, he's in it. He knows it. It's the public policy that, you know, protecting public lands and environmental policy. Like it's, if you want other generations to be able to enjoy it, what we have it's it's very important to pay attention to that and, and prioritize that you know as we move forward yeah totally it wouldn't still be here if the you know well 30 40 years ago hadn't hadn't done their part to you know granted there were a few of them but uh um you know they left it in a pretty pristine state for us so yeah i i appreciate this this time it's i've, I've missed chatting 14 years and i tend to drive everyone insane around me when I'm constantly like, Hey, have you noticed this Creek back here? I wonder if you could hike up it. They're like, I don't care. <laughs> so, what uh, um, was, you know, what'd you think about the podcast? Was it, was it as stressful as you thought, or did you think just, just bullshitting 14 ers <laughs> is it easy to be a guest? Yeah, I think the first five minutes I was like, you know, how do I do this? And then I, I forgot I was on a, you know, doing a podcast. So. Yeah, we've totally. learned, we've kind of learned that. That's why we don't ever do the introduction at the beginning. Cause as soon as we do the introduction, everyone like stiffens up and like is all proper. And then like, it's not like, it's like a half an hour later till you really get in the groove. I thought we, we, I thought we were really in the groove the last, last 30 or 40 minutes here. Just kind of just BSing around 14 years, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I list podcasts all the time, but never been on one. And I always thought it would be, difficult you know to sort of create that feeling but like you guys did a good job <laughs> so um it's easy easy to chat with y'all for sure easy to share stoke over the uh over the mountains here yeah totally totally we speak the same language i think so <laughs> absolutely well cool we we'll really appreciate you taking an hour and a half of our time and just chatting 14 years with us um I think we'll sign it off there. This is a non-standard 14er podcast. Again, thanks for Alex Durr. Check out his blog, alexmdurr.com. It was great to be here. Thanks again. I had a lot of fun. We'll hopefully see you out there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, have to come back anytime. <laughs> thanks. Thanks.